Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Chilenial Horrors podcast, a series looking back at the horror films of the noughties from J-horror remakes to found footage, the splat pack and torture porn and much more besides. My name is Jonathan Hatful. I'm Sarah Dobbs. And this first episode we're calling Why Are You Doing This to Us? Or Why Are You Doing This? I haven't quite decided on which one yet. <laughs> why Are You Doing This to Us is hilarious. <laughs> I think I just went straight to the um, the basement and saw, and it was just like, it seemed to be like a, a, a big refrain in a lot of those movies. Yeah, the basement in Saw obviously being somewhere we've spent a lot of time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that question of why are you doing this is the focus of this first episode. And I think what I was thinking about when I was thinking about areas of horror that feel like they haven't maybe been as covered as comprehensively as a lot of other decades or eras is the noughties was just a really interesting time for horror. There was so much going on. It was a decade where movements and trends would start up very quickly, would be kind of done to death very quickly, and then there'd be a backlash against them very quickly. And it was a constant movement from one thing to the next. And kind of a lot of, we're not like that last thing. That last thing was rubbish. We're now this thing. But I guess my, yeah, my first question to you, Sarah, is yeah, what do you think of when you think of Naughty's Horror? It's really hard to narrow it down, isn't it? Because like you said, there was a lot of waves and backlashes. And so trying to think of sort of one particular sort of defining image or defining things quite hard, I think my brain would probably go to that kind of sore hostile sort of 2005-ish kind of thing um that whole movement of uh inverted commas torture porn gorno however you want to call it i feel like torture porn like when when people started saying that it was supposed to be an insult and now we're just like yeah fine it's (laughs) (laughs) it's it's easier to have like a a reference for it like a name Mm mm-hmm well, it's like all those things like like punk or or emo or whatever that start out being an insult and then eventually just like, <laughs> yeah, fine, that's just that just is what that is. <laughs> um but yeah, I think I think that is kind of what I think of when I think of two thousands is that that kind of suddenly really brutal like reaction to the toothless Hollywood glossy horror movies that we were getting in the late nineties and very early two thousands. Like the mid two thousands we suddenly go, No, nastiness, that's where we're going. Mm. Brutal as possible harsh yeah nasty nasty yeah just kind of unforgiving endings where (laughs) things don't work out for anybody yeah just bleak yeah it's weird watching them now because they're so like unforgiving and i think i noticed it watching the house of wax remake which is otherwise Mm. like a really goofy movie in a lot of ways and is big on yeah just kind of melting kind of giant sets and big performances and then you've got some really horrible sequences in it like just a bit where I think it's Alicia Cuthbert is, is kind of trapped underneath a gas station and she sticks her fingers out of a grade to try and get her brother's attention and it just gets snipped off and it just feels like oh that would not have happened in the 90s like no. it's just really like oh yeah let's show just something really unpleasant happening it's it's funny that you mention House of Wax specifically because that is a film that I saw and was really deeply disturbed by um despite all the kind of goofiness but i i remember just feeling really sick in the cinema for that one i just really hated it it was so (laughs) nasty like i've only had that reaction i can think maybe three films where i've I've had a like no this is making me feel bad in a bad way and and it is because it has that spiteful bleak Mm. nasty feel to it rather like it just feels mean (laughs) <laughs> that sounds a really stupid thing to say about a horror film because they're trying to scare you. Of course they are, but there's like a specific 
like just vein of spitefulness to a film like that and yeah it's it's the bit for me that that freaks me out is when they find their friend who has been kind of turned into a waxwork and they try to peel off the wax to free him <laughs> yes. and they just pull his whole face off um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just jared padalecki with his face peeling yeah why is that so upsetting i don't know but i think it's supposed to almost be funny but i was just like no they can stop <laughs> and i was thinking as well like it was definitely like a decade when I was thinking about how weird it is that now thinking about the Saw franchise as like a film that came out in cinemas that lots of people went to see. Yeah. Like I remember for Saw 2 taking my friend who didn't like horror films because there was nothing else on. <laughs> and the idea of like specifically Saw 2 actually with the, like the needle pit and all the kind of cutting of skin and stuff. I just think, what was he like, what kind of time was he having when <laughs> I was just... <laughs> a really bad one. <laughs> a really bad one. And I, yeah, I remember at uni going to see Saw 3 with some friends because uh, the last kiss with Zach Braff was sold out. <laughs> and it's just, that's really not the same, like, it's not the same night at the movies. Same. But yeah, the, the, those kind of things were just getting a cinema release. Mm. And I think that seems really rare now that I think, obviously now we're seeing a huge boom in terms of horror movies being at the cinema and you're kind of seeing a lot more things like that getting a theatrical release. But there was definitely a long stretch when I could just seem mad that all these things would have got cinema releases. Mm. All these kind of low-budget, not just torture porn either, but a lot of these kind of indie horror movies getting a cinema release seems like a really nostalgic thing now. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess because now it would turn up on streaming rather than cinema, Mm. um, which wasn't a thing that we had in the early 2000s. But also, I think that there's been a bit of a, a revolution in cinema in that a lot of these movies are much lower budget than really would have been possible kind of much before that because suddenly you know found footage was a thing and you could make that for Mm. like not very much (laughs) Blair Witch Project or the first Paranormal Activity you know they're not very expensive movies at all versus like previously I'm sure you would have had to spend millions and millions or or even sort of the the first Saw movie I think is about a million dollars budget I think they claim something about that and that that's that's very cheap for a film that would get a cinema release so i think yeah it was sort of like a a, a bit of a sea change there and that things that were very cheaply made could be widely released and also make a ton of profit i think the, the kind of the low budget torture porn movies are definitely part of that and i was also thinking in terms of the like the, i think it kind of goes for the j-horror inspired movies as well where kind of ghost stories are suddenly much more like housebound in a way like they're kind of set in an apartment building or yeah, like a yeah. new house. Um, you don't have to build like a spooky mansion on a haunted hill <laughs> to yeah to tell a, tell a good ghost story. I think there just seems to be like looking back at the noughties, um and the types of movies that were getting released, there definitely seems to be a move, yeah, kind of whether consciously or not, to kind of to smaller scale. I think mm. in a lot of ways, and obviously there are exceptions to this, but I think yeah, a lot of big movements like torture porn or low budget ghost stories and found footage do seem to kind of push the biggest budget studio movies out of the window a bit. Yeah, I wonder if that is just related to the sort of overall trends so that when we come into the kind of, I guess, mid to late 2000s and the financial crisis, you know, we're, we're, we're living in a different world than we were in the 90s when everyone felt very prosperous and glossy and, and all those things. Whereas like, I, I'm pretty sure the dates don't line up for this, but <laughs> I, was just, I was thinking of like the Poltergeist remake, which I love oh, yeah. as an example of like like moving with the times in the in the first original poltergeist movie they're moving into like a uh expensive house and they're 
yuppies and they're doing really well and they can upgrade whereas in the remake they are the houses of repossession and they yeah they're like it's like a downgrade and i just think it's really just it's like a tiny detail that's really telling about where these films are coming from yeah so i guess kind of going back to the why are you doing this i think it's a really interesting period in terms of the filmmakers that were popping up the splat pack is kind of used as a a kind of a collective term for a group of filmmakers who were doing these kind of 70s throwback like we said like really brutal nasty mean-spirited not mean-spirited sorry but um, mean movies in a lot of ways and it's interesting how a lot of those were coming about at the same time but didn't really seem that connected like it's quite hard to find you wouldn't really find pictures of them all together <laughs> like it's um they did just kind of seem to be springing up organically and then uh, at the same time those filmmakers the, the filmmakers that they were inspired by were kind of tend to be found on TV and massive horror they're not really making movies with a couple of exceptions like uh, Wes Craven still going uh, in the noughties um, George Romero managed to make another zombie movie with Land of the Dead but there's a kind of interesting like with the remakes that are happening as well so you get these franchises kind of expiring at the beginning of the decade with Halloween Resurrection Jason X and Freddy vs. Jason and then a few years later you've got the remakes of all these movies like Friday the 13th Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween kind of really just setting a reboot and fitting into whatever kind of trend or fad is is popular at the time and there are a couple of interesting notes like I think Wes Craven is someone who really spotted what was happening and decided to use it I think he was quite heavily involved in the Hills of Eyes remake. I think I think he picked Alexandra Aja and the Last House on the Left remake. And I think both of those I prefer to the originals, yeah, interesting. Um, which might be controversial. But, <laughs> um, uh, and then you've got like John Carpenter, who's just sort of like, oh yeah, fine, just pay me and you can do whatever you want. And that's how you get the fog. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, like, <laughs> I really love John Carpenter's not giving a fuck attitude but then but then but then you brought the fog into it and i was like oh wait no maybe that's not good well he was still pretty busy i mean he did do yeah he did an episode in both seasons of master of horror and i think technically ghost of mars was i think that's 2000 and i think the ward might have been a bit after the noughties but like he was kind of about doing stuff mm. then yeah you kind of get these i think some of these filmmakers you kind of get a little bit of renewed interest with like um, I think after the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake like Toby Hooper is kind of interesting again and then he did tool- Toolbox Murders which I think was quite well regarded and then he didn't kind of really do much <laughs> interesting after that Yeah, I wonder if the 2000s or the, the noughties kind of mark a bit of a baton passing because like in the in the 70s and 80s you get all these super iconic franchises and ho- horror franchises and horror movie villains popping up so your Freddy's, your Jason's, your your Michael Myers's and those franchises like you say it sort of like run themselves into the ground by the late 90s early 2000s so and and also yeah your your Wes Cravens and your John Carpenters who are your established genre legends they are kind of like being elbowed out by this this new breed um so yeah your your new your splat pack but we we get new icons as well so we get Jigsaw we get Annabelle we get uh, oh, there must be more than that. Who the ones that weren't created by James Wan? <laughs> I mean, I guess Paranormal Activity would have counted as that, except it doesn't have like a defined villain as such. I th- yeah, I guess like the um, uh, Devil's Rejects mm-hmm. kind of group. But that's kind of interesting as well. I think like with the Spat Pack, you don't really get the same um, push for franchises, with the exception of like Rob Zombie, like 
although a lot of his films are very similar anyway. And yeah, obviously with the exception of Saw, which they turn into a yearly event, like there's not really there, there are big franchises happening, but not with that group of filmmakers. You tend yeah. to get like people doing like I think Hostel, like one and two, and then that's kind of it. Alexander Arjard just kind of keeps moving. Uh, Neil mm. Marshall keeps moving. I am interested by the fact that there were big franchises that popped up that weren't Saw. Though, kind of, you get like Resident Evil starting and Underworld, and yeah, Final Destination is one that you kind of. I, that's one I always forget is Naughties, and yet it's such a huge yeah. kind of probably the best franchise of that decade that kind of Ooh, holds up. Controversial. I know. Yeah, we love Saw a lot, <laughs> but I think oh, like in terms of consistency, Final Destination. Yeah, quite except, it. but but <laughs> uh, if you were to sit down and watch a franchise in a day. I'm going to say Final Destination would be more painful to watch back to back than Saw just because it's the same story over and over and over again rather than Saw being like a continuing soap opera. That is true. And I think Saw, <laughs> I, I thought this must have been said before, but I just kind of remembered how much like Saw movies were basically like, there's, there is, it's basically like the Marvel universe and that you have to have seen one <laughs> to have seen the next one. Like you're not going to yeah. understand why... You know, like in an Avengers movie, if Tilda Swinton pops up again, you're not going to know who she is if you've not seen Doctor Strange. And it's like, yeah. yeah. Like, I think I I stopped watching Saw at the cinema after three, I think. I think I missed four. Yeah. And then... Me too. Yeah. And then Final Chapter came out and I was like, oh, I should catch up. And all this stuff about, like, I remember people talking about, oh, like, you know, is it Strom or Hoffman? I was like, who is Strom or Hoffman? Like, I don't, they weren't in any of the films that I saw. <laughs> Well, yeah, except Hoffman is very briefly oh, He is, train, yeah, obviously. which I hadn't realised until we watched them <laughs> the all in best, one day. The possibly my favourite moment of any any anything where they're like, the killer could be right over there <laughs> and point, and then he just pops up. <laughs> but in that movie, you don't find it. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about Saw another time at Great Lakes, yes, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> it, and also, obviously, another franchise that popped up in the noughties is the Twilight Saga, and while obviously, you know, I think a lot of people wouldn't class that as horror. That is at a huge impact on horror, I think, in terms of what I was saying before about horror being very reactive in the noughties is that you... It's not Twilight was like a huge refrain once Twilight came out and it just became like a shorthand for a filmmaker trying to say that a film was interesting or exciting. Like, I think you obviously get 30 Days of Night, which I think is probably the big these aren't Twilight vampires movie. But... uh, it seemed like any movie that was gory, like you get the director popping up at a festival going like, oh yeah, it's not Twilight. Which is ridiculous in hindsight, because you're like, what, it's not a movie that's going to ha- have a massive, super engaged <laughs> fan base and make you shit loads of money, you mean? Okay. <laughs> Great. Maybe that's what they're, maybe they're lowering expectations. Like, it's not Twilight. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm sure that they were speaking from a place of uh, a great artistry. But, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that was at the forefront of that mind. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, um, I guess another thing that we should slightly address in this uh, sort of first intro episode is why are we doing this to you? Like, why us? <laughs> why now? Yeah, I think uh, it started. I was, I was working on. I've been working on some video essays for a website called Through the Trees, which you should definitely visit if you haven't yet. Which is a horror website for people who love horror movies and cult movies and outre movies and I was trying to think of what would be a good thing to look at and we'll see it's kind of heading towards the end of the uh this decade I can't remember what we're even calling this decade but yeah I think I especially during lockdown I was really just looking for comfort movies and 
a lot of my comfort horror is from the noughties because that's when I really got into horror movies as a teenager. I would have been uh, 12 in 1999 and just really getting into horror movies. I I saw Candyman at 13 and was scarred and I read It when I was 13 (laughs) as well. And I think that basically did it. And it was a really, like, I think the combination of the films that were coming out and the way in which you heard about these movies because obviously kind of movie websites were huge at that point and really like there were still forums so you could still go and post about how like good a horror fan you were which I feel quite <laughs> like occasionally I think about what I was posting and how sort of snobbish I was I was such yeah. a snobby horror fan as a teenager and that's one of the things that yeah. in there's a weird thing about watching Naughty's Horror now which is the nostalgia factor which helps you gloss over a lot of the things that um are problematic now there's also the um I think with a lot of movies, especially like we're going to be talking about Dark Castle remakes soon, but I think movies like 13 Ghosts, I remember like coming out and being so snobby about, I was like, this isn't horror. <laughs> like, it's just flashy. It's just editing. with <laughs> sort of like, oh, it's just rubbish. And then I watched it again a few years ago. I was like, I was so wrong. 13 Ghosts is great. I had such a good time. <laughs> I still think 13 Ghosts is bad. <laughs> but, um, but that's because I didn't see it when I was a teenager, I think. Uh, so I didn't have any of that um, edge smoothing nostalgia like I was so I'm a little bit older than you so I was 15 in like 1999 but yeah I'd I'd recently sort of got really into horror through um, a copy of Scream that we'd illicitly got one of our friend's sisters to rent (laughs) and uh, yeah and then that kind of kicked off a whole whole thing because weirdly I guess this is kind of going to be a theme as well is that like I feel like we feel sometimes like we're sort of latecomers to horror because our era is the sort of remake era rather than mm. being around for Halloween or, or or Friday the 13th or whatever the first time. So we kind of came to these movies like, like Scream without that load of knowledge behind it. Whereas now when we revisit those movies, I now do get all the references I do, <laughs> do understand because I've got a much wider knowledge. But, you know, at, at 15, 16, I didn't really know what was what was going on i hadn't seen enough films like i just hadn't been alive long enough <laughs> to to have seen all that and and yeah you know going away to university at, at 18 and being able to go to the cinema and watch whatever i wanted without my parents saying no you're not allowed to see that like <laughs> i think that made a big difference like that's when i really got into all this um all the horror that was out at the time and and yeah so there's there is yeah for me as well that massive nostalgia for this period but also the couple of decades worth of experience and knowledge that I've gained <laughs> since then, <laughs> which is going to make it a really interesting um, thing to visit. Yeah, like you said, like a lot of those movies, um, like the J horror remakes, like I definitely hadn't seen the original Ring when I watched the the American yeah. one, or the or the Grudge or any of those. And a lot of the like I had like, things like Hammersville Horror, I'd never seen the original. It's it's yeah, it's so interesting seeing yeah. I, I think I, I'm the same. I saw the American Ring first, and it's absolutely scared the life out of me. I, I remember I was at my university dorm and sitting in our shared tiny little kitchen with us, the only TV that we had in the flat with my flatmates, and everyone being a bit too scared to kind of go to bed because nobody wanted to be alone in the room with the TV and <laughs> just <laughs> complete like absolute terror. I really miss that as well. Like I feel like being old and jaded now i don't get as much of that like absolute soul searing (laughs) like i am terrified terrified of just anything just like a dark room or a a leaky roof or whatever it might be after too much (laughs) j-horror 
Yeah. I don't, I don't think they're seeing things like the, the ads for Saw, like, um, I think like a newspaper ad, and I can't, like, they, I must have kind of combined, like, something I saw online with seeing a newspaper ad, but I swear I remember seeing, like, the foot, like, the <laughs> severed foot, yeah. um, just to, like, with a saw underneath it, <laughs> and I was like, what is this? It sounds amazing. It, and, and it was. <laughs> It was kind of mind blowing that first movie. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about all of these films. Like we've got so much stuff that is going to be really fun to revisit, and yeah, just really interesting to revisit. I think, and probably things that I missed the first time round. I'm sure there are there are well, I think that's a lie. Actually, I think I was about to tell a massive lie where I was going to say I'm sure there are loads of movies in the <laughs> noughties that I haven't seen. I don't think there are. <laughs> I think most of them I've either seen or like made a very deliberate choice not to see for some reason. Occasionally you, you do find one that's like, oh, like, how did I miss this? And then you do something like I, what I did yesterday, which was, um, I was like, okay, well, if I'm doing this podcast, maybe now is the time to watch the Hitcher remake. And everyone was right. I shouldn't have watched the Hitcher remake. The Hitcher remake is awful. It's, it's a complete... Wow. Absolute disaster. It, yes. Although having said earlier that I think there were maybe three movies, including House of Wax, that really freaked me out in the cinema. Maybe that I'm going to expand that to four because The Hitcher um, really freaked me out as well. And in a way where I was like, I knew that I was watching a bad movie, <laughs> but there's something about that film that just really got under my skin and made me feel like horrible. It was just bleh, grimy. It's nasty. pretty lechy. It's it's le- it's <laughs> maybe it's that. I think that's one of the yeah. It's just the original's so interesting and there's so much kind of going on and there's lots of these all these kind of like swirling undertones of what does Rutger Hauer want, and then like <laughs> in the original in the remake, it's just sort of oh yeah, Sean Bean's just a murderous perv. <laughs> I think I think um, that's probably something that we will come into as well. Is that it feels like now like the 2000s might as well have been like the 1960s for or, or 50s rather for like the misogyny and kind of rapiness and just completely unacceptable mm. <laughs> behavior and language that's in some of these films i think that'll be an interesting thing to look at now with our 2021 eyes i guess it'll be by then because it's nearly the end of 2020 now yeah, yeah definitely there's a few films that i'm quite apprehensive about revisiting that i've kind of i know in the back of my mind are probably deeply <laughs> problematic now oh, oh you know and yes. were then but yeah watching as like a 14 year old um, just super excited to see some blood. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't, you're not really picking up on sort of. Oh, that's not really, that's not fine. And yeah, I think I, I was just, you know, looking at the Splat Pack movies and just sort of, it, it, yeah. There's, I think obviously there were women directing horror in the noughties but like no one's kind of close to the Splat Pack. Well, and there are no women like, who um, get, yeah, no women who get counted in amongst the Splat yeah. Pack. But yeah, I guess that's a good question. I mean, there's American Psycho's two thousand, right? So we got yes. that. Yeah. It's definitely like an era when, although obviously kind of uh, a lot of these movie websites would have started around mm. late 90s, there's definitely, it's an era, I think, maybe with horror more than a lot of other genres, it's, it seems like there was a definite effort to cater to an online audience and kind of what that online audience is expected to be, which is, um, yeah, kind of teenage boys, I think, yeah. in a lot of ways. So yeah, kind of blood and boobs and uh, all that stuff, <laughs> I think, was really kind of emphasised in especially like in a lot of marketing and stuff that I was seeing mm. as like a teenager sort of as might come up I think it, was, it probably will come up in the uh, episode we'll, where we'll be looking at the torture porn or Gorno movement but that whole backlash there was um, and I might have actually watched it by the time we record the episode <laughs> but a film called Captivity oh god um, I haven't seen that yeah I don't really know anyone who's no. seen it but I know 
the, the I remember the backlash towards the marketing at that yeah. point. I think it was um, a backlash against the billboard campaigns which featured Alicia Cuthbert in various stages of distress and torture and death. And there was a, yeah, a huge backlash directed at that film specifically, but at torture porn mm. in general. And it feels like there was a kind of a growing kind of, I guess, move, like push back against a lot of the those elements of horror. And I think there was, you do see it like being kind of right, pushed mm. right out to the peripheries towards the end of the decade. Yeah, I guess with a lot of the big movies, like Paranormal Activity seems like the big end of the decade mm. one. But yeah, kind of go back to a fairly restrained in a lot of ways kind of movement of just um yeah just a ghost story that's interesting uh, because another thing that i think we will talk about when it comes to found footage is almost every found footage movie ends up having something in it where uh, a man is filming a woman in a state of undress against her will or trying to persuade her to have sex on camera that's the the big trope of paranormal activity for me i think i think there's one film where there's not a scene of a man trying to pressure his girlfriend, wife, whatever, to have sex with them on camera. Like, it's it's in almost all of them, and it's such a like gross really? thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's like, yeah, it's weird. I think I think there's definitely something to be to be examined in gender and horror because yeah, I think we did go from the sort of early two thousands of just like almost harking back to the eighties of like yeah, you're just the girl's just going to be there to get hacked up by a serial killer. Um, mm-hmm. to something more nuanced not always in a good way um like you say yeah female directors start appearing in horror or or like mainstream horror sort of more towards the end of the decade it's just it's just it's such a transitional period in so many ways that i think i think it's going to be really fun to look at yeah definitely i think like things like yeah rewatching house and haunted hill that was one uh where i was like oh yeah there, there are just kind of yeah naked women in it for just just for the sake yeah. of having one yeah. and that's kind of 99 and i think that's sort of it's it's weird that like the 90s is regarded as like a toothless era in a lot of ways or like an era where it was kind of all like pg rated movies but that kind of i guess that kind of leeriness mm. is kind of definitely present like it's not it's not a new thing in no, the but 90s. yeah i think it just it just it wasn't remarked on as much and i guess uh, as well when you get into the sort of torture porn time it is so much more about being very explicit about what they're showing you there's no coyness to it, there's no cutting away mm. so actually that's a lie but I will save that thought for the, the episode <laughs> I feel like a lot of this is just a teaser like we're going to talk <laughs> about this but not today <laughs> there's, I think that's one of the things that I find most exciting about the noughties is that there is so much to talk about there are so many different genres um, and subgenres coming and then kind of bubbling up and then the bubble bursts and there's a massive pushback Mm. against it and I think a lot of the things that were really popular and common uh in the early noughties are gone by the end of the decade or at least fading out and a lot of the directors who seem to have been like the leading lights of the genre in the earlier part of the decade kind of drift away from it for a while or lose interest and there's obviously so many interesting indie movies coming up that we have to find time to talk about that don't really fit as neatly into the subject headings we'll find a way we'll figure it out as we go along i think that the final thing to just say is the real answer to the question why are you doing this to us is because this is what we like talking about <laughs> so we're gonna do that for a bit <laughs> yeah exactly it's just a really nice excuse to talk about lots of movies that we have a lot of nostalgia for 
And some of them are really good. Some of them will hold up. Some of them will hold up. <laughs> some of them will. Excited to see which ones do and which ones don't. I'm really worried about some of them. <laughs> I think some of them might be now. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think the nostalgia yeah, might go. It might. Okay, but then we can we can uh, we can save the crushing disappointment for next time. Okay, so that's um, yeah, that's what we will be talking about in this upcoming podcast series, which we're really excited to actually kind of crack into talking about a lot of these films in a lot more detail and a lot of these movements. So thank you very much for listening. Yeah, if you want to find us on Twitter, I'm at Jonathan Hatful. And I'm at, at Sarah Dobbs. And you can read and watch a lot more about these things at Through the Trees. And yeah, look forward to cracking on with episode two, which will be looking at the, the end of the 1990s and the era of the Dark Castle remakes and how they impacted remakes of American movies in the noughties. Catch you next time. Thanks very much. Bye.